I'm Adam Lay, Senior Editor at Private Equity International. Welcome to the latest edition of Spotlight, a PEI media podcast that delves into the latest topics in private markets investing. With me today is Isabel Markham, Senior Editor based in New York, and Toby Mitchell, Senior Editor based in London. Hello, Isabel and Toby. Hi. Hello, hello. Uh, I was just looking um, at privateequityinternational.com before we got started and just looking at the stories that we've been publishing over the last couple of weeks. And I don't think we can really say that there's been a, a lull in terms of news or, or things happening. You know, we've we've got Bridgepoint, which is PEI Media's owner, saying that it will buy EQT's credit business yesterday. And we've got Nordic Capital returning with its biggest fund yet, seeking 5 billion euros. Uh, we've got HQ Capital seeking its largest ever um, funder funds. Calpers, CIO, announcing that it's going to, to leverage its portfolio to invest in private equity and private credit. And that's just the start of it. So um, I don't know what what you both think, but there's certainly things going on in in the markets that we cover. Yeah, I would say that maybe some of the fears that the market had back in March or the beginning of the COVID crisis haven't really materialised so much. I think people were expecting a bit more of a lull, but I think the market has just pressed on and adapted. And a lot of these funds that are closing, some of them had already been in market. Some of them are newly coming out now, as they've seen the LP appetite is still growing pretty strong. I think also people have just generally realised that there's actually a lot more they can do remotely, whatever line of business they're in, than, than they originally feared or stuff that they absolutely felt would have had to have done face to face. is actually happening face to face via a video call. Yeah, so that that sort of uh, apprehension that people had back in in March or or early April didn't really seem to to pan out as people had feared. Which is a great segue into uh, the survey we've done of LPs and GPs in the last week. Maybe as a kind of background to how we conducted this this study. So so this is the second LP survey that we've conducted. Um, I should say our, our wonderful RNA team have conducted since uh, the COVID crisis began in March. So we surveyed LPs back in March and surveyed them again in in May to kind of get a gauge of how things have changed, how sentiment has changed. Uh, we surveyed 80 institutional investors in March and, and 45 institutional investors uh, in May. And this report is available on Private Equity International. I think if you just go to that link slash coronavirus hyphen news, you can find all our coronavirus related uh, coverage, including this download, which has the underlying data as well. So in terms of the LP sentiment, Toby, do you want to? Yeah, well, just on that on that topic. So the one thing that I think has shifted the most between the kind of March round of surveys and May's survey was just how people thought they would carry on doing AGMs as I say, once kind of lockdown is lifted and everything comes back to normal, whatever that may be. When we asked people the first time round, it was about one in 10 saying that they'll do more AGMs by video conference and same again, 13% saying that they will conduct fund due diligence by video conference rather than flying to, to wherever the manager's based. Fast forward from March to May and then it's basically the number of people thinking like that have doubled. So 25% now expecting that they're going to attend GP AGMs via VideoCon and 21, so one in five, saying they're going to do more due diligence by video conference, which I think kind of chimes with the way a lot of what we're seeing in terms of what we're, we're just talking about in terms of actually fundraising in particular is, is carrying on. Although obviously there'll be a bit of a test when a, a lot of the results we're seeing are still from things that were if not in the market by the time lockdown came around at least they were kind of probably warmed up to it and lps knew who they're dealing with 
Yeah, it's really interesting, this this virtual AGM idea. Um, I was just speaking to uh, Yussi Saarinen, Global Head of Investor Relations at EQT this week, who was telling me about the fact that they held their recent AGM virtually as well and basically ran it as a kind of TV show. So it was a two-hour TV show that they kind of recorded with live crosses and, you know, sort of speakers and condensing two days' worth of information for their clients into two hours that everybody could kind of uh, stream, watch live, and also download. And one interesting point they were saying was that the majority of their clients actually watched the show live. So so when it was being streamed, as opposed to, you know, just waiting a week and watching it after that. So the takeaway that, that I, at least I got from that was that the, the LPs want the information there and then, you know, even if they're sort of in Asia and it's a weird time for them to be tuning into an AGM, they don't want any kind of delay in terms of being behind in information. Yeah, what, what I'd like to know from that is, so EQT's AGM, I guess like many of the other sort of big, big mega firms used to be something of a just giant networking event for for LPs, obviously, as well as the opportunity to get updated and meet the EQT folk. But it was a huge conference and an opportunity for LPs to network with each other. And I wonder what, given the success or, or apparent success of their virtual one, if that were to remain in place or if some sort of hybrid remains in place, I wonder how LPs are going to get their fix of connecting and swapping notes and whether there'll be a virtual replacement for that. Yeah, that, that certainly will be interesting to see. As they say, private equity is a people business and uh, I'm sure a lot of kind of connections and, and relationships are built uh, over dinner at AGMs and not just during the day. Isabel, looking at the same investor sentiment survey, curious to know what uh, you thought was the most interesting chart. One interesting thing I picked up on, I mean, it's not uh, particularly surprising or groundbreaking at the moment, but to see that 63% of investors have a greater interest in investing in distressed debt or special strategies in the next six months. So, of course, this is what distressed investors have been waiting for, right? This is the market turn that they've been waiting for. And they're all kind of ready to to jump in and capitalise on that. I think it was back in May, maybe, the uh, Brookfield CEO, Bruce Flatt, said, you know, he sees this becoming like the best distressed debt environment that he may have ever seen. Uh, and of course, great timing for them as they invested in Oak Tree last year. It's interesting that timing is going to play such a big role uh, in this, as has been explored quite a lot by our sister title private debt investor. I mean, you need to have the money kind of ready to go now. The great opportunities are now. So fast fundraising, I think, is the name of the game. And we've seen a couple of interesting funds that have closed in in sort of record time, these dislocation, so-called dislocation funds. Um, Apollo's raised one, I think it was 1.75 billion in just eight weeks. KKR has raised 4 billion for a similar fund. They have flexible mandates, short investment periods, really kind of opportunistic funds. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if any of the other firms come out with things like that. I expect they probably will. I mean, a lot of the large listed firms on their earnings calls back in April for Q1 uh, were saying that they were getting, you know, from their closest LP relationships, they were getting a lot of incoming people just calling up saying, what have you got for me? Like, we really want to invest into this environment. Um, what kind of products do you have? So if you can get out there quickly, and of course, these larger managers have the infrastructure to put something together very quickly, then now's a great time. 
to do that. One of the one of the questions that we asked LPs for this survey is whether directly because of COVID-19, their institution is uh, being more flexible in terms of, you know, for their, their GPs to invest beyond their mandates. And um, back in March, just 16% of investors replied that yes, they would be more flexible. In the most recent survey in May, 27% of investors said they would be more flexible. So, so it seems like sentiment is changing, as you say, Isabel, in terms of being more open to their managers uh, being able to take advantage of, of opportunities. Yeah, I think we'll definitely see that like within funds that are already out there, like not necessarily going out and raising a new vehicle. But if you have opportunities now and you've got capital left in the fund to invest in more kind of credit type products or distress for control opportunities where that wasn't really what you were doing before, I think, you know, if there's a good opportunity out there, LPs probably want you to take advantage of that. I wondered how much of that flexibility related to the time period of the fund, so the investment period and then the overall fund term, just because that's one of the things that came up a lot when LPs would ask specifically what GPs are looking for. And most often it was, yeah, investment period extensions, fund term extensions, and then recycling provisions as well for capital. Well, on that same chart, actually, it's a two-pronged question. And, and the second question is asking LPs whether they plan to be more active as a seller on the secondaries market. That was one figure that caught my eye, uh, specifically because it seems that more investors are not necessarily planning on selling, but they are considering it. So back in March, 16% of investors said that they were considering selling on the secondaries market. In May, 23%. So a 7 percentage point increase. I guess that there hasn't really, from what we've heard, been that kind of denominator effect induced sell-off. I can't think of any large multi-hundred million or billion dollar plus LP portfolio sales that have launched since mid-March and have, or even subsequently closed since that time. The, the one large one I can think of that is closed was already in process before the crisis. And anecdotally, I mean, uh, market participants are telling us on Private Equity International and secondaries investor that essentially it's a pricing problem. So it's harder to kind of value fund stakes when public markets are volatile and we don't really know what's around the corner. You know, will it be a V-shaped recovery or a kind of, you know, double dip situation? So that's predominantly why a lot of sellers have, have not really been pulling the trigger, which is not to say that there's not capital out there to buy these stakes because the secondaries market has something like $170 billion worth of, of dry powder to deploy. So um, there's certainly interest from the buy side. Is, is there much distressed distress selling going on at sort of small, on a smaller scale, do you know? Uh, that's that's a really great question. So the activity, yes, that we hear about uh, is on the smaller side. I was speaking to a French manager who specializes in niche and small opportunities a couple of weeks ago, and he described the buying situation as the best environment he's ever seen. And we're talking about, you know, stakes that are maybe 7 million, 10 million, 15 million, which is small fry compared to the, you know, the billion dollar plus portfolios that the likes of Ardian and Lexington Partners and firms like that. Are buying. In terms of whether they are distressed, we haven't got any sense of that. Well, we, as in we haven't sensed that people are selling for distressed, but some high net worth individuals appear to be keen to sell and are selling for liquidity. Whether they're distressed or not, even the buyers don't know because a seller typically doesn't want a buyer to know that they are selling because they're in a distressed situation. I was wondering how many of those in that sort of we're considering it bucket are, you know, not in a distressed position, but thinking, 
you know, now is going to be a really good vintage. So it'd be great to get some money back on maybe some 2018 funds that we committed to 2019 funds so that we can have it to deploy to new funds now that will be investing in this new environment. So more like portfolio management, trying to sort of get lucky by investing in these newer funds. That's a really good point. I think that's one that we should ask our um, our sources. Any other interesting charts from the LP survey uh, that you guys want to kind of um, discuss before we move on to the GP survey? I just quickly flagged the question about whether LPs were in agreement that private equity-backed companies should be just as able to access state support available for companies in times of COVID-19. So any of the kind of rescue loan packages or other grant-based schemes. I mean, we asked this because we, we, we have been asking LPs for more kind of anecdotal experience of it or more anecdotal views on whether they think it's a good thing that privately-backed companies should access government money. Actually, the LPs we speak to are pretty unanimously on board with the idea that there's no reason to differentiate between a company with private equity backing and any other type of ownership structure. Um, but the results coming back from the survey are, I would say, surprisingly mixed, certainly not unanimously in favour of it. There's, what, 55% in agreement that PE-backed companies should be able to access government funds, while a surprisingly large amount are pretty ambivalent, so 27% neither agree nor disagree. And then 18% actually disagree. It tells us that it's quite a complicated issue and also possibly indicates a little bit about the fact that there's lots of different types of schemes and lots of countries in which they are being applied, so they're not all, not all the same. We've knocked around and debated the idea as to whether there's something to debate here amongst ourselves, and it's not that clear-cut. And we know from conversations with GPs that all they're wondering what LPs are thinking about this. Well, interestingly, to kind of use that to jump into the GP survey, it's clear from one of the survey questions in there that portfolio companies are suffering. There's no doubt about that. 60% of respondents said their firm has already made layoffs. And still in May, 49% say, yes, they plan to make more layoffs. So you know, the, the case for state aid is clear. These companies are not necessarily faring any better than any under other types of ownership model. That, that does bring it back to the reason that these programmes are there in the first place, which is to keep people employed for as long as possible until the economy hopefully comes back. Um, continuing on the state aid point in the GP survey, 50% of respondents said they have tried to access state aid and of, of those who have tried to access it, 70% have been successful. And of course, as you were, you were just discussing and we've written about, you know, if we broke that data down by geography, I'm sure it would be stark because portfolio companies in the UK and other parts of Europe have been able to access these funds and uh, in the US haven't been able to. I guess... Just to end, just curious, both of you, you know, as journalists, um, we've been under lockdown for three months, been away from the office, we've been working from home, working remotely. Um, how are you finding the whole process of working from home and, and speaking to, to people in the market and, and webinars? I think I miss going to events and meeting people, even though we can get a lot done from our computer screens. Um, there's a lot of serendipitous discussion and information gathering that can't happen like this. I would agree with that. I think it's been a real mixed bag when I speak to other journalists in our organisation between those who have found that 
now everyone's at home, it's so much easier because everyone has a ton of time and, you know, sources are willing to have long conversations. And those that kind of say the opposite, and maybe that's to do with specific sources, their specific situation, um, what they're working on, uh, that kind of thing. You know, the in-person meetings, I'll be glad to have those back. Although, as you said, the bulk of our, our work can be done over the phone and people have been very accommodating. You're right, they have been accommodating. I've been surprised at how quickly everyone has been able to adapt to the new situation. I personally, I'm liking the efficiency that we get from not having to commute and being able to, to roll out of bed and uh, pretty much start working straight away after maybe having a bit of breakfast and, and exercise. But I'm definitely missing the um, the randomness that comes with bumping into someone at a conference or um, at a gathering and, um, and having a random chat and, and something interesting coming up via that. So fingers crossed that we'll be getting back to some sense of that before too long. To find a copy of the survey we've just been discussing, head to privateequityinternational.com, click on Rankings and Reports, and find it in our special report section. It's called Investor Outlook on 2020 in Light of COVID-19. If you want to hear more episodes, you can check us out wherever you listen to your podcasts and, of course, on PEI's various titles online. For PEI, I'm Adam Lay. Thanks for listening.